quite the inspiration too. Sorry to interrupt you, but she is quite the inspiration. She's very strong. She's very independent. She doesn't, you know, want to rely on people for more than she has to. And she has become an inspiration to me. I don't know what she doesn't yeah. Well, she's a dental hygienist, I think. Yeah. I think that's what that's about. Yeah, well, and, and time now to uh, kneel together. And uh, I invite you to kneel with me and let's have a word of prayer together before we get into our, our study for today. So please kneel with me if you can. Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank you so very, very much again for this holy Sabbath day. The many blessings that you you continually pour out upon us, and Lord, we we feel so unworthy, but we know Jesus is worthy, and we know that that you do look upon us as having some worth because you gave all heaven in Jesus for our salvation. And so, Father, we come before you and we praise your holy name. We praise you for these blessings. We praise you, Lord, that uh, you are a righteous God, uh, a God of love and compassion, a God of mercy and uh, long-suffering, but also a God of justice. And so, Lord, we praise You for, for who and what You are. And we praise You for uh, the Holy Sabbath day that we can come together and we can worship You uh, with like believers in spirit and in truth and gain a peace that passes understanding, Your Word says. And we've experienced that. And we long for it to continue. And Father, we bring, bring up before You those who uh, are on our prayer lists, those who are ill, uh, those that uh, uh, need to hear the gospel. And uh, uh, the harvest is ready, as your word says, but the workers are few. And Lord, I pray um, that you will pour out your spirit upon us and, and motivate us to, to share this truth with all around because we know as prophecy is laid out and as we see the signs of the times that the end is very, very near. And there are people who are suffering for want of the truth of the word. So, Lord, I pray that you'll be with us in all our efforts within our own families and to our neighbors and, and in our uh, specific evangelistic efforts. We pray that you will bless them to your honor and glory. Father, I ask humbly that you give me the word uh, to speak today. We're looking at what your word has to say about who and what the church is. There is confusion on this. And as we go through this series, I pray, Lord, that you'll give me the words to speak. May they be uh, the truth. May they convict hearts of the truth, and uh, that they study to show themselves, Lord, and, and make right choices, that we may all be a member of your uh, heavenly kingdom. Lord, we also ask that you forgive us, each and every one, for our sins. They are so many. We claim the blood that Jesus shed at Calvary, and, and we pray that the Holy Spirit will give us new hearts, and from this day forward, the past is over, we can do nothing but ask forgiveness for those things. Let's start afresh and anew today, living in Jesus. We thank you for hearing this prayer as we ask it in his blessed name, for he is worthy. Amen. I didn't even have that on. I thought I did, but I guess I didn't have it on. Well, I... I want to say I'm glad to be with you here today. I'm having a little bit of difficulty uh, with some back pain, but that's I've been dealing with that since I was 18 years old. And uh, oh, good, they heard me. Okay, praise the Lord. 
Sometimes the switch gets switched the wrong way. <laughs> it probably was on and I turned it off. That's not very good, is it? Um, but uh, um, I praise God that He's uh, He's always caring for our health and He blesses us so much. This is uh, a continuation of our series that I've entitled, This Is My Body. It is uh, a series defining God's church. And uh, this particular a study, a message is entitled The Seed of Abraham. In Genesis 3.15, and, and uh, we're going to go there in just a minute, so you can, you can go there now if you, if you wish, and, and uh, uh, we'll get to it in just a moment. But in Genesis 3.15, it tells us about the battle, actually, between the two churches. Remember, as we've been talking about, uh, there's only two churches. And, and it, it tells us about this battle between the two churches and how it will eventually end. Isn't it remarkable? Right there in Genesis 3.15. It gives mankind the truth as to the, the loving character trait of God. Genesis 3.15 does. And it gives his remedy for the sin problem. It speaks of two lines of descendants that will remain on the earth until this great controversy between Christ and Satan ends, and there will be one church again as there was in the beginning, friends. And as I've said before in this great controversy, uh, there are only two churches, though the word church has been used to mean different things, like uh, people or buildings or denominations. Um, what you'll find is most of these other things are really types of organizations but they're not really the church per se. Uh, and I will tell you, and we've gone through it, the Bible defines only two current churches. You know, just uh, uh, like I said, we'll get into Genesis 3.15 in here in just a second, but uh, just as a reminder, you know, there, there's God's church, which is currently referred to as the church militant. And it's militant because... It's uh, got a gospel to give to the world, but it, it is made up of both faithful souls and unfaithful souls. And those unfaithful souls are referred to in the scriptures often as tares. They're referred to as foolish virgins. They're referred to as Laodiceans, but not open sinners because they're planted there by the enemy. Jesus himself said the tares were planted by the enemy. Then there's Satan's church. Today it's known as Babylon, but the Bible often refers to it also as the synagogue of Satan. That pretty much says it's his church, doesn't it? And it's made up of both faithful souls and unfaithful souls, uh, uh, open sinners. Now there are some faithful souls, or all the faithful souls, let me correct that, there are faithful souls in Babylon, in Satan's church, and it's up to us who, who have heard the message of Jesus heard his voice calling us out to give that call as well and to call those faithful souls out of Satan's church into God's church. And so here in Genesis 3.15, as I'm saying, has said earlier, we find the description of the two churches right in the beginning book of the Bible. And we find the, the, the conflict between the two. And let's look at Genesis 3.15. Now, this, of course, is right after the fall of man, isn't it? And God comes into the garden. Isn't it something? God always comes looking for us, doesn't He? We sin, and God comes looking for us. 
I praise God for that. Because if God didn't come looking for us, friends, we'd be lost. But here, it's after the fall, God comes looking for man. He finds out, and of course, he already knew what happened. But he hears from their own voice what had happened. And here's what he says in verse 15, Genesis 3, And I, that's God, will put enmity between thee and the woman. Now, he's speaking to the serpent, isn't he? But he's really speaking to the devil who used the serpent. Isn't that true? And I'll put enmity. That's a hatred. God's going to put a hatred between the serpent and the woman and between thy seed, the serpent's seed, and the woman's seed. He's going to put a hatred there. And so, friends, when we become a member of God's church, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, that hatred for unrighteousness is put within us. We have an enmity for it. And we have an enmity for the devil. For his church. And God says, It shall bruise thy head, this enmity, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now that word there for bruise, essentially it really means crush. It shall crush thy head. Because there's going to be a day when the devil is no more. But you get into the original Hebrew and that's, it's closer really to what it means. It's going to crush. So we see here in Genesis 3.15, we see here two identities. We see the serpent and the woman. We see two descendants, the serpent's seed and the seed of the woman. One conflict that will end with the crushing of the serpent's head, like I said, his death forever. It'll, it's, this controversy is going to come to an end. Now it's very important for us to understand which church, what the, you know, what the church is, so we can be in the correct church. Isn't that right? That's why we're going through this study. And so we we have been studying what the Bible has to say in defining God's church, and and we are looking at ten primary characteristics. Now there are more, and in fact, I've been thinking about putting all of this into, in probably into a book and uh, uh, to make it available. Um, and uh, there'll be some more of the characteristics included in that, but, but most of those uh, fall within these ten what I would call prominent characteristics of the true church of God. Um, and, uh, and you'll see that even within these ten, you'll see that they, they actually build upon the very first one. And the very first characteristic is that the church of God will have the nature of Christ. It will be made up of born-again believers, those who are followers of Jesus. Humanity, divinity combined, or, you know, angels, they have that godly character, that righteous character as well. So, uh, they have the nature of Christ, His character traits. And, and that's the very primary, the ultimate, because we've learned before that wherever Jesus is, there is His church, see? And Jesus left the temple for the last time. He said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, because God had left. So wherever God is, wherever Jesus is, there is His church. And uh, so that's the fundamental, the basic pillar. Jesus is the cornerstone, remember. And we've studied the, these out before. And then all these other others, they build upon uh, that foundation. Uh, the second a prominent 
a character trait is that the, the church of God is a spiritual house with Christ as the head. And the third thing, it, they'll be of the, the spiritual seed of Abraham, not of Ishmael, which means that, and this is what we're going to talk about today, they're going to be covenant-keeping. And uh, the Sabbath is the sign of God's people. We find that uh, uh, we're going to talk about circumcision in a few moments too with Abraham's covenant, but also the Sabbath is a sign of God's people. And that uh, I'll talk about that next time we get together because uh, that actually could be uh, within the ten, but I, I like to see it within the uh, spiritual seed of Abraham because um, it builds off of that. Uh, the fourth aspect, it's a light. The church of God is a light that leads the way to the head. And Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, the fifth characteristic, it'll have the gifts and bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that includes the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy. That's coming uh, in a later study too. Uh, the sixth thing is stand upon the foundation of truth, especially present truth. We've talked about that. Uh, it'll have the faith of Jesus and what I talked about last week. Righteousness by faith. Righteousness by faith in Jesus. See? And uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, the Church of God will keep the law of God, all Ten Commandments. Then there the Sabbath comes into view as well. Uh, and we talked about that, about having the ark of God within us. You know, carrying the ark in our heart. That's placed there by God. Uh, and number nine, it'll be a vibrant and living in Christ. And this is very uh, important. It sometimes gets... Uh, overshadowed too often, but you read in Hebrews 10 that it's going to be a fellowship of believers. A true fellowship of believers. And we're not to forsake the, uh, you know, the fellowship of believers and coming together, as we learn in Hebrews 10. And number 10, it's going to have godly love and unity. See, as we get closer to Jesus, we gain in the love of God in our hearts and we become closer and closer together in a unified body. And that's talking a little bit more about organization. And that'll, that'll, that'll uh, uh, spring us into a few studies about proper gospel order and organization. And so what I'm going to be speaking about today uh, is the, the spiritual seed of Abraham. Uh, that the, the church of God is covenant keeping. You know, the church is one of the, really friends, it's one of the most wonderful subjects in the whole Bible. And it's been amazing to me. I want to tell you how much that these studies have helped me out because I can virtually go to any, so far, any story in the Bible and I can pull the principles out uh, of any story about who the church is and who the church isn't. <laughs> it's remarkable. When you start to understand these principles in defining God's church, you can see it throughout the great controversy from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation. Because God's goal is to pull all His people into His body and then the church of, of, of Satan, Babylon, the synagogue of Satan is going to be destroyed. And it's going to be the one church again like it was in the very beginning before sin entered. And so it's one of the most wonderful subjects really in the, in the entire Bible. And so as we... We started in Genesis. I want to continue in Genesis. We're going to go to Genesis 17. But you'll notice as you read Genesis, uh, you find that after sin entered the world, God gradually, through time, uh, He unfolded the 
to this world the doctrine of grace. It's always been about faith. It's always been about the grace of God. Don't get mixed up in the word covenants, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Salvation has always been by faith in God. It's always been a gift of grace from God to us. And so here as you start out in Genesis, God, you see He's, he's unfolding this to the world. And the, the problem was the vast majority of the world rejected God. When they rejected God, they go into idolatry. And that's what happens. You reject the true, you're going to be worshiping the false. And so then God chose a certain person to preserve the knowledge of His law, to preserve the truth about His government. And this person became, really, he became a, a progenitor of Christ, an example of the Messiah, an example of Christ. And so the people of God, all the members of His church, remember the seed of the woman, uh, for the next 2,000 years, they, they looked back to this person as their spiritual father and, and uh, to themselves as his children. In fact, to become a member of the church involves becoming this person's child, as we're going to find out. Now, this person's name was Abraham. He was one of the most uh, famous men that ever lived. We live in a world and a society where you have these stars, you know. Abraham is one of the most famous men that ever lived on this earth. I mean, you talk about star power. It's still relevant today when you talk about Father Abraham. And we need to become a, 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 his child. And so, in Genesis chapter 17, if you'll turn there, maybe you're there already, we're going to look at verse 1. God came to Abraham. In verse 1 here it says, And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, he's 99 years old. Now that's old to us, isn't it? Not quite as old to Abraham in his time, although it is aged for him. It says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Now when you oftentimes see that word Almighty, it's talking about the Godhead. That's why we're we're counseled to be very cautious in using the, the expression Almighty God. We need to be very reverent. And so he says, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. There's that word perfect. People have a misunderstanding about that too, don't they? Verse 2, he says, And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. So what, what is it that God's saying? He's saying, walk before me and be thou perfect. And he goes in to explain, and the Bible tells us exactly what that is. How we can have this perfect character. We talked about it last week. Righteousness. Have that perfect righteousness by faith. So, just as righteousness received by faith, is, it's called justification. Remember the big word, justification. Uh, um, just as it was necessary to establish the covenant, so a blameless walk before God, which is often termed sanctification, was necessary to maintain it. You see? God is asking, the Almighty God is asking Abraham to walk before me. He's not saying walk after me. He's not even saying walk with me. He's saying walk before me. Which means I'm watching. Okay? And be thou perfect. I think God wished that Abram, 
Abraham to understand that the ultimate realization of the divine promise required him to measure up more completely to God's standard of purity and holiness. He had been fallen away, you see. But Abraham was called to a higher experience than he had known before this time. Our scripture reading is verse 7. You go to that. God again, he says, And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And so we find out, friends, that the terms and the benefit of this covenant, this agreement, uh, relate not only to Abraham as an individual, uh, but to all his descendants as well, both literal and spiritual. That was the idea. And then God gave circumcision. You read there in the chapter. He gave circumcision to Abraham as a sign of the covenant. And God told him that anybody wanting to become part of his seed had to be circumcised. That was the sign. And, and we see uh, an example of this when the men of, of uh, you remember Shechem, accepted the God of Abraham. Remember when Jacob and his sons were uh, you know, near the city of Shechem and they came, there was a, uh, an issue there with the daughter of Jacob, raped there and then they came to an agreement and they, they uh, uh, Shechem had accepted uh, had repented, had accepted God the God of Abraham, they were all circumcised according to the covenant made between Abraham and God but unfortunately the sons of Jacob didn't understand what the symbol meant and they killed all the new converts of Shechem and Jacob had to hurry up and hasten and leave the place because of what his sons had done you see, they didn't understand what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. And Paul said in Colossians 2, verse 8, he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. See the principles here? Wherever Jesus is, there is His church. He's the head. But notice verse 11. In whom, that's Christ, also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. See, they didn't understand that. They thought, oh, this is just a sign because we have the sign that means we're righteous, we're with God, God is with us. Is that true? Let's find out. God made a covenant with Abraham. And, and, and this, is, this is what we're finding out here. God made a covenant with Abraham and any person in the world could come to Abraham. And they could say, we want to worship your God. We want to be part of your religion and your family. That's what the men and the king of Shechem did. And they could become a part if they were circumcised. That represented, as Paul says, that represented the cutting away of sin from their life. It was the symbol of justification and sanctification, see? A symbol of being born again. 
And when you become a member of the church, you had to covenant that you were going to follow God and keep His commandments, didn't you? When you become a, a member of the remnant church, a member of God's church, true church, you made that covenant. And this includes the Sabbath. And like I said before, it too is a sign uh, um, of the people of God. And we'll get into that next time. Uh, now when Israel left Egypt, that very same covenant was renewed to them. You read that in Exodus 19. Circumcision was an outward symbol of an inward experience. That's what it was to be. And the same, of course, can be said of the Sabbath. It's an outward symbol of an inward experience, keeping the commandments by faith. Now, I want to ask you a question. In fact, I believe it's a pivotal question. What if you only had the outward symbol? You know, you had been circumcised, but you didn't have the inward spiritual experience that it represented of cutting sin away from your life. What if you went, let's look at the Sabbath too as a sign, a sign and a symbol. What if you went to church every Sabbath, but didn't have the inward experience of having the ark of God in your heart? You, you kept the commandments of God because they were written in your mind. What if you didn't have that? So you... You have the outward sign, but would that make you a member of God's church? Hmm. Were you really a part of the seed of Abraham? Well, let me see if I can help you out with that. The Bible says that Abraham took Ishmael. Now, who was Ishmael? Ishmael was Ab Abraham's son, wasn't he? But he was his son through Hagar, right? And the Bible says that Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all that were born in his house and had them circumcised. Were they actual members of the church, though? Look at Genesis 17 again. This time, verse 23. And Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all that were born in his house and all that were bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God had said unto him. And Abraham was ninety years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son. Look at verse 27. And all the men of his house, born in the house, and bought with the money of the stranger, were circumcised with him. So, pretty clear they were all circumcised. So the question is, were they all actual members of the church? Just because they were circumcised. You see, Ishmael had the outward experience of circumcision. Was he part of Abraham's seed? Well, he was according to the flesh, wasn't he? He was Abraham's son. But was he part of the spiritual seed? No, he wasn't. See, Abraham asked if Ishmael could be part of the seed, and God said that he was going to establish his covenant with the son of Sarah. 
not with the son of Hagar. Okay? Back up to verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, this is God speaking, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. Verse 21 is the key. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. You see, friends, even though Ishmael was circumcised, he was not really a part of the church because he didn't have the inward experience that circumcision represents. He wasn't the son of Sarah, who was Abraham's wife. And when you give your allegiance to God, and you choose to serve Him, to keep His laws, to put away sin, then you become a part of God's chosen people. You become a part of His church. And in the Old Testament times, anybody could do this from any nation. Same as today. Let me give you an example. Ruth was not a descendant of Abraham. She was a descendant of Lot. She was a Moabite. But notice what Ruth decided. And notice what she said to Naomi. It's found in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16. She's speaking to Naomi. And remember, Naomi's telling her, her daughter-in-laws to go back to their nations. And Orpah did. But Naomi, she says this, she says, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people, get this, thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Now, Ruth was not a descendant of Abraham according to the flesh, but she wanted to have the same religion and belong to the same church. See? She was adopted in and became a part of Abraham's seed. And we see this in the response of Boaz. If you go to Ruth chapter 2, look at verse 12. It says, The Lord recompense thy work. This is Boaz speaking to Ruth. And he says, And a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. And so... The covenant people, those that entered into this covenant that Abraham and the Lord had made, the covenant people said, yes, we want to forsake sin and follow God by keeping His commandments. We want to be part of Abraham's family. We want to be of His seed. They professed faith in God and they obeyed His commandments. They became part of His professed people. Now here's the question. What if these covenant people did not abide by the conditions of the covenant? This is what I'm getting at. Remember, a covenant's an agreement between two parties. So, God made the offer and the conditions as we read there in Genesis 17. And we can decide whether we want to be part of that offer, you know, that covenant or not. What if I decide to be a part of the covenant and then I don't follow through with my agreement with the Lord? I have the outward experience, but I, but I don't continue to keep His commandments. I don't cut away sin from my life. 
And friends, this has been God's problem for thousands of years. The prophets addressed it over and over and over again. God would send them to His people. Jeremiah tells God's people what is going to be the end of this kind of thing. He said, circumcise your heart and not just your flesh. In other words, you need to cut away sin from your life. In Jesus' day, the people who called themselves God's people had not been faithful to the agreement. They said, we are Abraham's seed, we are the true church. But friends, to be part of the church, there are conditions, you see. If you do not cut sin away from your life, you have broken your covenant with God. That was the problem in Jesus' day as well. In fact, the people that professed to be the children of God were actually the children of the devil. And you can't be both part of God and part of the devil at the same time. Remember, Genesis 3.15 says that there are only two seeds in this great controversy. There's the church of Christ and the church of Antichrist. And Satan seeks to deceive the seed of Abraham as to who is the church of Christ and too many take the outward symbol over the inward substance breaking their covenant with God thinking that they're keeping the covenant and that they're special. Let me share this with you. It's from Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 406. She says, We want to understand the time in which we live. We do not half understand it. We do not half take it in. My heart trembles in me when I think of what a foe we have to meet and how poorly we are prepared to meet him. The trials of the children of Israel and their attitude just before the first coming of Christ have been presented before me again and again to illustrate the position of the people of God in their experience before the second coming of Christ. How the enemy sought every occasion to take control of the minds of the Jews, and today he is seeking to blind the minds of God's servants, that they may not be able to discern the precious truth. Let that sink in. If a person professes to be a child of God, you profess to be part of His church. Now, the church is to be organized for service, and we'll get into that, you know, like I said before, proper organization principles um, in the weeks ahead. We'll get into it after we get through with this series. And we need to understand gospel order. We really do, because too many people think that they they don't have to be a member of an organized body of believers, and that understanding goes against plain Scripture, friends. There is proper organization in in gospel order. Too many have the wrong understanding of organization as well, and we see this repeated over and over again throughout the history of God's people. God told Abraham, He said, when you enter into this covenant, you will be my people, and I will be your God. In Jesus' time, the people that professed to be the children of God were not actually His children. They did not fulfill the covenant, which was the condition of being the seed of Abraham. So God sent a special messenger again. He sent a special messenger. His name was John the... He's called John the Baptist. He sent... 
John the Baptist to give them a chance to turn around. Praise God that He's so merciful towards us. And these people said to John the Baptist, you know what they said? Here John comes, he's, he's preaching repentance and that the kingdom of God has come. And you know what these people said to him? These children, this professed people of God, they said, Abraham is our father. We are his children, therefore we are part of the true church. We are saved. That's what they said to him. We don't need to heed what you have to say to us because we're already saved. We're part of the remnant. We have the name. But I want you to notice what John the Baptist told them. It's found in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 9. John replies, he says, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. That's a very interesting statement right there. God can raise up stones to be children of Abraham. <laughs> well, wait a minute. We're descendants of Abraham. And John's saying, don't even think that. And then notice verse 10, he says, And now also the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wow. What was John telling them? Remember, they said, we are Abraham's children. He's our father. We're part of the true church. And John the Baptist said, don't say that Abraham is your father. Don't say you are a member of the true church when you aren't producing any fruit that proves you are from the parent stock. No, you're of a tree that's going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's what John was saying. If the tree doesn't bear good fruit, no matter what the name is, it won't save the tree. You can say, oh, I'm a member of the true church, but you know that's not going to save you. It's the fruit, not the name, that determines the destiny of the tree. From the book Desire of Ages, page 107, John declared to the Jews that their standing before God was to be decided by their character and life. Profession was worthless. If their life and character were not in harmony with God's law, get that again, if their life and character were not in harmony with God's law, they were not His people. I hope some eyes are being opened today. Because I'm going to tell you that's very plain talk. If your life and character is not in harmony with God's law, you are not a member of the church. You are not Abraham's children. You are not God's people. It is your character, the fruit of your life, that determines membership, and not your name, not your profession. 
You see, John the Baptist said there's coming a great shaking and sifting among the Jews. He calls it a winnowing fan. And John said there's going to be a separation there. And the wheat is going to be gathered into the garner and the chaff is going to be burned up. That's why he said the tree that doesn't bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now I'm going to tell you that did happen when Jesus came among them and the true seed was sifted out of the fallen organization. Then Jesus reorganized the seed into what we call the apostolic church. But friends, when you follow the life of Jesus, you find out wherever He went, His words and His acts, they aroused opposition. They, they, there was a great tumult over Him. And Jesus spoke about this same issue to the Jews in even stronger language than John the Baptist. Jesus acknowledged that they were the descendants of Abraham according to the flesh, but He denied that they were Abraham's spiritual descendants. You understand? Look at John chapter 8. We'll be there for just a little while. John 8 verse 37. Jesus said, I know that ye are Abraham's seed. And he's talking about the physical, see, the flesh, fleshly descendants. He says, I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my Father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your Father. And he's not referring to Abraham. Verse 39, They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. So Jesus said, if you were really Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. You would have a character like Abraham. You see, friends, what God is interested in is not our likeness in the flesh to somebody else, but is the likeness in our minds and in our spirit to Him. That's what God's interested in. That's why Jesus came. It's the only way we can reflect His image. <laughs> it has to be in our minds and in our hearts. Look at verse 41, John 8, verse 41. Jesus continuing here. He says, You do the deeds of your Father. Then said they to Him, We be not born of fornication, we have one Father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but He sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not." Jesus said to the Jews, your spiritual father is the devil. You're not the children of God. You're not part of God's church at all. You're part of the synagogue of Satan. Your character proves it. You want to kill me who was sent here by God to give you the truth. Abraham didn't do that. He's not your father and neither, neither is God.
Not only, you know, you know the saying, James says you break one commandment, you essentially have broken them all. Not only were they plotting to kill him right then, in addition, they were lying. They were breaking all of them. They didn't keep the Sabbath. <laughs> oh, they showed up at the temple, just like many do today. But they were Saturday keepers, not Sabbath keepers. And we have many Saturday keepers today, too. Very sad to say. Now, friends, this is very plain. And you would think people who heard talk that plain should be able to figure out who and what the church is. <laughs> right? Well, they didn't. Even Christ's own disciples took a long time to get that figured out. Because of tradition. Because we look at the flesh so much. You know, we human beings are so used to looking at the flesh that often the spiritual truth in the Bible just bypasses us completely. It was right over our head. That's why the book says spiritual things are spiritually discerned, you see. But we've seen this throughout the history of humanity. It's a misunderstanding of the symbol and the substance, who and what the church is. Apostle Paul had to fight the same battle over again, all over again. Go to Romans chapter 9. Paul is sitting here, he's speaking about this same issue. Verse 6, he says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Well, let me ask you, who's Israel? What does he mean by that? Who's Israel? He's saying God's people. They are not all Israel which are of Israel. They are not all Israel who profess to be Israel. They are not all God's people who profess to be God's people. And the fulfillment of God's promise is limited to those who meet the conditions of the covenant relation. You understand? And the condition to Abraham was to walk before God. To keep his statutes, his judgments, his commandments. Look at verse 7. Neither because they are of the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. You see, Ishmael doesn't count, even though he had the outward sign of circumcision to prove he was a church member, even though he was the fleshly son of Abraham. Only in Isaac, not Ishmael, shall thy seed be called. Verse 8. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. The children of the promise. You see, Abraham had to trust God by faith that Sarah was going to bear a child named Isaac. That they named Isaac. He was the child of the promise. See? And we too who accept Jesus are children of the promise that we will be saved and we will be with Jesus when He comes. Friends, I'm telling you, I, I don't know how much more plainly you can say it. Profession alone does not make anyone a child of God or a member of His church. 
Who really is a member of the church? It's not the children of the flesh. It is the children of the promise, those who have the spiritual qualifications. And how do we ascertain the spiritual qualifications? Turn back to Romans 4. Romans 4 and verse 13. Paul says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Isn't that beautiful? Righteousness by faith. Paul teaches here that through righteousness by faith, the Gentiles have the same privileges as the Jews. It was God's intention from the beginning that anyone could become a part of the seed of Abraham, friends, through faith. I mean, we saw in the story of Ruth, she became a part of the seed of Abraham by faith. Continuing in Romans 4. Verse 14, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith, that it might be by grace. To the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations." Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. God promises Abraham that he will be the father of many nations who do not yet exist. At a time when Abraham himself does not yet have an heir, and when he has passed the age when he may naturally expect to have one. He's 99 years old. But Abraham has faith to believe that God can give life to his dead body and can summon into existence the things promised of which God speaks in his foreknowledge as if they had already existed. You see? And the Christian's faith must be no less. And Paul sets forth Abraham's faith as an example. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. His descendants will be like him. Do you believe God, friends? The upward look, page 80, says the Israel of God are those who are converted. <laughs> Do you believe? Is Jesus not only your Savior, but is He your Lord? Remember what John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, verse 9? John the Baptist said, God is able of these stones, and he was referring to Gentiles, to raise up children in Abraham. And when a Gentile comes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes into his mind, he then learns to keep God's law just like Abraham did. And when anyone has the same spiritual experience that Abraham had, he is accounted as the seed of Abraham. Let me ask you. If Judah is the church, who would a church member be? He'd be a Jew, wouldn't he? 
But notice in Romans 2.28 who Paul says a Jew really is. And friends, we've got many people today who say that the name of the church is sacred. I wish and I pray that they would study these things out. The name of the church is sacred. And if you're not a member and, and you're not called by that name, you're not a Jew. <laughs> See? That's why I'm asking. If Judah is the church, who would a church member be? He would be a Jew, right? But I want you to notice what Paul says in Romans 2, who a Jew really is. Paul says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. He's not. He says, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. Because friends, if, if that was the thing that did it, then Ishmael would have been a member of the church. But Paul's very emphatic in the book of Galatians that Ishmael was not a member. And so Paul continues in verse 29, he says, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. You see, it's not outward. It's inward. It's not in the letter, but in the Spirit. And he makes it more clear, as I said in Galatians. And I'm going to close up here in Galatians 3. And friends, I, I don't know how much more clear it can be, really. When we talk about who and what the church is and, and who really is a member of the church, the Bible really is very, very clear. And Paul makes it clear. Galatians 3, verse 7, he says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, and that's faith in Jesus, the same are the children of Abraham. Those are the only ones, friends, who are really part of the church of God. They keep the same covenant with God that was made with Abraham and they do it the same way that Abraham did it. By faith. Righteousness by faith. Back up to verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. Friends, to be credited as righteous means being forgiven and admitted to the favor of God. Man can do nothing to deserve the gift of Christ's righteousness. He cannot claim it on the basis of merit. He can only believe it by faith. That's what Abraham did. And anyone who accepts Jesus as their Lord and their Savior receives His righteousness, becomes the seed of Abraham. Turn down to verse 26, Galatians 3, 26. I'll end with these. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Oh, beloved, Jesus was the seed of Abraham. And if I'm a child of Christ, I keep the covenant made between God and Abraham by faith and am part of the seed of Abraham. I am a member of the church of God. The question is, the question for all of us to determine and answer from our hearts, am I of the seed of Abraham? And friends, if you're not of the seed of Abraham, would you like to be? I would. If you'd like to be of the seed of Abraham, I invite you to bow your heads and pray with me now. Father in heaven, we again thank you so very, very much that we have the opportunity to have you as our Father. And we come before you, Father. We've made many mistakes in our lives. We've sinned. We've made poor choices. We're heading down a wrong road, maybe. We've lived as Ishmael to the flesh. But we wish to be of the seed of Abraham. And so, Father, we come before you and we ask forgiveness. We come before you and know our sins be many. They be as scarlet. You have promised that they shall be white as snow. We claim the blood of Jesus to wash us clean. May we, through the grace that only you can give, be and remain children of Abraham, the seed of Abraham and be able to see Jesus face to face. Prepare us for that day, Lord, please. We pray in His blessed name. Amen. Our closing hymn for today is hymn number 428, The Sweet By and By. Hymn number 428. Thank you.